This episode of The Tome Show is brought to you by listeners like you. Thanks for using The Tome's Amazon and D&D Classics affiliate links. This is Craig Campbell, author of Baba Yaga's Dancing Hut, and you are listening to The Tome Show. Welcome to The Tome, a D&D news, reviews, and interview show, and I'm your Tome host, Jeff Greiner. And that's just it. Just me, Jeff Greiner, flying solo. No, I'm not. I have Joe Listowski rejoining me for this episode. Tracy's out sick, but Joe and I are going to use this episode 228 to talk about how we convert published adventures from one edition to another and other types of conversions. Joe, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. And, and where would people remember you from? Uh, I was on the episode, I don't remember the number now, but uh, the one talking about Into the Unknown, the Dungeon Survival Guide. That's right. Man, was that like 4th edition, 3rd edition? What were we doing that day? 4th uh, four, edition <laughs> still, yeah. But know, it was uh, a while back, yeah. Honestly, we, we, uh, due, to, due to the timing of the show, we've uh, reviewed a lot more 4th edition than 3rd. Um, just because we've, we, we've been around for the entire breadth of 4th of edition. Mm-hmm. But only part of the third edition days. Uh, so before we get into our topic of the day, I want to remind people that your holiday shopping is hopefully done. Uh, although as of this recording, mine is not. But I have good reasons. I just took the GRE and I've done nothing but study for the last month. Which is also why you may have noticed a bit of a slowdown in episodes coming out in early December. Uh, in any case, if the holidays are over for you and you received any Amazon gift cards for the holidays, don't forget to head on over to Amazon through the link at thetomeshow.com. You get the exact same Amazon, but we get part of the proceeds. And hey, if it's a gift, har- gift card, you can even do it without spending your own money. It's a win for everyone. Now, on to the topic at hand. Joe. Yes. Let's talk about converting ad- adventures from one edition to another. And let's start with a discussion about our a brief discussion about our experience with this. So, what sort of adventures have you converted and from what edition into what and and, and you know, throughout your gaming career, how many times have you done this sort of thing? Well, um the the longest D&D game I ever ran uh started off in second edition and ended up in uh 3.5 and we had to do conversions along the way as we went of you know, pretty much the whole world as we as we were going. Uh, so that was that was my first real sort of major conversion experience was just looking at one system going into another. Uh, but since then, uh, I've found a lot of uh, older adventures that had some really neat story ideas that I wanted to try out with my fourth edition group. Uh, and so I've I've uh, kind of pulled bits and pieces wherever I could and and tried to insert them into my fourth ed games. Uh, I have also been a D and D Encounters DM for. I think since maybe the third or fourth season of Encounters. What season and are they on now? 
Uh, they are on 16 right now. 16. So that's a long yeah. time you've been doing encounters. Yeah, each season's about three months or so. So yeah, it's, it's, been, it's been several years. And uh, so currently we're in Legacy of the Crystal Shard, uh, which is uh, taking place up in Icewind Dale. And it's uh, supposedly an edition-free uh, adventure where you can play it in either 3.5, 4th Ed, or D&D Next. Uh, however, there's not a lot of structure given as to how you would... Um, I'm running it in 4th edition, and uh, that edition relied a lot on what happens per day and what happens per fight and when you get to rest and things mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we've had to kind of look at it and structure things according to, well, when do we give them rests? Why can't they rest in between this part and this part? What's going on here? And, and finding ways to sort of balance all of that. Uh, so I did that uh, with the current uh, Legacy of the Crystal Shard. I did that with the previous one, uh, Murder in Baldur's Gate. Uh, and I also did it, there was about a month uh, this past January where there were no encounter seasons scheduled. And there was a, uh, an older adventure called The Hidden Shrine of Tomoe-chan, mm-hmm. which I think was a first edition adventure that they had released as a fourth edition, sort of a slaughter fest. It just kind of every room <laughs> would kill the players. And we wanted to run it over the four or five weeks that there was nothing else scheduled. And so I had to kind of convert that into both uh, an in-store play thing that could happen one week after another and, and have a, a format similar to other D&D Encounters things and also uh, set it up in such a way that players would have a reasonable chance of maybe surviving. Uh, Turn it from, a, from the old uh, tournament-style game into a, a more traditional-style campaign. Absolutely, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good. Uh, and from my experience, I am currently running a D&D Next campaign using the 3.5 uh, Return to the Temple of Elemental Evil adventure. Um, I've also converted 2nd edition into 4th edition, 2nd edition into 3rd edition. I think I, I converted a Pathfinder game into 4th edition once. Um, and and if I'm, I'm not sure, but I think I may have done a straight-up 3rd third, third ed to 4th ed. Um, and if I haven't, I'm actually planning to for my next campaign. So so over the course of, uh, I think, over 20-some years now that I've been playing D&D, um, I've, I've converted a lot of things into a lot of things, I think. I, although I seldom, uh, as I'm realizing, I've seldom gone backwards. I don't think I've ever taken a newer adventure and converted it into an older edition. Hmm. For whatever reason. But. Well, it may just be harder to find people playing the older editions that's once true the too. ones yeah. come out. I mean, I'm going back to, to fourth, but fifth isn't exactly out yet either, so. No, although I, I did take um, certain elements of not really converting adventures, but like when the advantage-disadvantage mechanic came out, mm-hmm. I found ways to throw that into my fourth ed D&D games. And, well, this monster does this, and now you have disadvantage on these rolls. Oh, cool. And it was, it was a neat way to sort of incorporate some of the new ideas into mm-hmm. the system we were currently using. Yeah, I've, I've got plans to do something, some similar things with, um, is it 13th Age that was designed by the, the, some of the oh, guys yes. that worked on 3rd and 4th edition? Fabulous game. I'm I'm in a an ongoing uh, game of that right now there in my uh, local gaming store as well. So I was kind of thinking that I might take some some of the elements like the escalation die from from Thirteenth uh, Age and apply it to a fourth edition for my next campaign, which will be a fourth edition game. Oh yeah, see yeah, if it I, helps I, speed up combat a little bit. My my favorite, well, <laughs> one of my favorite mechanics uh, from Thirteenth Age was a monster that had a sort of embedding, uh, laying eggs inside of you, and you would keep taking ongoing damage and making saves, but if you made the save, the thing burst out of you, and, and so I found... It, it was just so gross and awful, but awesome at the same time that I had to put it into my current D&D game as well. That's great. Yeah. So, 
it occurs to me that every single edition has a library of adventures available. Even Next, which isn't even out within the playtest mm-hmm. document, has like – there's probably 10 different adventures you could play in Next right now. Right, um, right. Between the the encounter seasons that you could pick up, you know, Dragon Spear Castle that was on that was a Gen Con exclusive, but now they're selling over at D and D Classics. Don't forget to go through the ta- yep. Tom's Amazon uh, Tom's store to get there. Uh, uh, you know, there's plenty of of adventures for every edition, including the one that's not even out yet. So why do it? Why bother taking something from one edition and converting it into another? What's what's the point? Why not just play something from that edition that's designed for that edition? Well, I think it's it's the same reason that people read all of Ed Greenwood's uh, articles about creating the Forgotten Realms on the D&D site because they're cool stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, be- and, and because a lot of times if, it, if it's in a, an environment that you really like or if it has a particular moment or a particular villain that you really enjoy or just something that, that speaks to you as a DM that you, and you know your players would really enjoy this uh, – you want to bring it to them, and, and sometimes it's easier rather than just creating the whole thing on your own to say, all right, this is what I'm basing it on. This is what I want to convert this into whatever we're playing right now and, and go that way. I think that's fair, yeah. Um, you know, and it's interesting because I, th- I think my answer is exactly the same, and as I think about the times that I've done it, almost every time I've taken an older edition uh, adventure and converted it into my current game – it's been because some other DM ran me through that adventure, or at least part of that adventure in the past. Mm-hmm. And I loved it, and I wanted to give my new players that experience. But we wanted to do it in whatever game we were, we were used to playing or that we liked playing more. You know? Sure. Uh, you know, I've got a, an old second edition adventure from Forgotten Realms called The, the Haunted Halls of Eveningstar. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I remember that. I have played that, I think, in almost every single edition because it was one of the – I think it was one of, if not the first adventure I ever played. And it sort of, you know, it became couched in my heart in a very special way, you know. And, uh-huh. and the, the story's not super compelling, but the du- it's a quaint little dungeon and it does its thing and whatever. But um, it always seems to find a way to come back to, to my campaigns in almost every edition. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm the same way with uh, second ad- uh, adventure um, Dragon Mountain. Uh, which oh, yeah? was a big, a big box set, mm-hmm. uh, but it was the first. It was the first D and D thing I ever bought, and and I, you know, before I even knew what I was doing, I was like, oh, it's a big box set. It must have everything in there, and I bought it and read through it, <laughs> and then uh, realized you had no idea how to play the game. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, pretty much, pretty much. But eventually, I got around to running it, and and it's it's stuck with me ever since. And mm-hmm. every later game that I have run since then, I've had some version of Dragon Mountain appear uh, in one way or another. That's a really good, cool adventure too. I I I I've started that adventure two or three times and never finished it. Uh huh. The thing I like most about it is that it's got little you know first level monsters like kobolds that are really difficult and and persnickety and they keep you know they hide behind little things and keep shooting you and you can never you can never get them all. It it takes you know for for players at a slightly higher level it throws lower level monsters at them and still makes them uh, threatening, which mm-hmm. was kind of a cool. Well, because cool there's thing. so many of them. It's, well, yeah, it's, it's yeah. the swarm tactic, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. See, and it's things like that. And, and some, of it's com- some of this comes back to, to the classics as well. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes it's uh, one of my co-hosts for uh, Behind the DM Screen, Randall Walker. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, he's, he's running um, the original um, Village of Hamlet. 
okay. a, as a next campaign because it's a classic story that he's gone back to over and over and over again. You know, it's a classic adventure, and sometimes yep. you want to have that experience. You know, they've recently re-released a bunch of those classic adventures in, in big uh, hardbound um, sets, right? Yep. The, the Dungeons of Dread and and what was the second one they did? Oh, I don't remember. I don't remember. Uh, I have the Dungeons and Dread in front of me, so that one I remember. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The other one I don't. But they've you know a bunch of these classics, and it's like you know. I'd like to have that experience. You know, I have the the original uh, Ravenloft adventure that used to be my go to. I would run that every single year at Halloween and and make notes in it about uh-huh. the things that they did, and then hint at that. And the next time they came came around and did it, you know, oh, this you know this campaign they knocked over that statue. Well, in the next in the next year, that statue's got cracks and 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 chunks missing out of it because it was knocked over, and somebody had to prop it back up. Uh-huh. You know, and so I, you know, it's just it's just going back to those classics over and over again and giving you the experience of doing it without having to go back and take my my for example, my fourth edition players, uh some of which have only ever played fourth edition and having to teach them an entirely new system just for this one adventure. They we, you know, so that's part of why I think conversion works. Right, right. And and in in contrast to trying to convert like a TV show or a movie, you know if you're converting an old adventure that at least it has worked in a gaming yeah. setting. You know, if if I'm like, oh, I really love Star Wars, I run, I want to run that with my players. Well, Star Wars has its own role playing game, so maybe that's not the best <laughs> example. But say like Indiana Jones, maybe you know, and you're like, oh, that's that's a great dungeon setting. I want to do. But if if you've never if you don't know that that's ever worked mm-hmm. for a gaming group before, it may or may not work for your group. Yeah. Uh, and I've I've run into situations like that where I tried to bring in things from a cool movie or a TV show, and it just ended up not really working because the you know the physics of magic in that world weren't the same as as in the D&D world or that sort of thing. So well, I think it, that's a, a reason com- It's a completely different form of storytelling. Like the yeah. the stories from the your movie favorite movies and TV shows do not actually translate into games. You can pull ideas from and be inspired by certain elements. Well, uh, we, a few months back, we read uh, for the book club, we read uh, a book by uh, Robin Laws called Hamlet's Hit Points that was all okay. about plotting out story structure in movies and, and, other, and plays and things and, and using the things that you learn about good story structure in, your, in, in how to stor- structure a story in your own games. And one of the big takeaways for me in the whole thing is, mm-hmm. oh, you can't actually do this. <laughs> as <laughs> right. much as there's a whole book about how to how to do that, um, it doesn't work the same. Movies are structured different. TV shows are structured different. Plays are structured different. Um, it's a completely different style of, of storytelling. Uh, and but games can be converted to other kinds of games because at least it's the same medium. Yes. Yes. Just a different paintbrush. Exactly, exactly. And and not that I'm going to spend much time ranking on it, but I think that was one of the flaws that the D&D movie uh, ran into originally uh, mm-hmm. was that they were trying to convert the other way right. and take take a game and turn it into a movie without necessarily paying attention to all the things you need to pay attention to to make a movie good. Mm. And that's tricky too, right? I mean, I, I noticed yeah. the same thing in novels where sometimes I can see the dice rolling in a novel. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand... If the novel breaks the physics of the game, that bothers me too. So there's a fine line to walk, you know. Uh huh. You've got to be like, you've got to be true enough to to make it feel like it's it fits, but not so true that you're stuck, you know, playing out the whole thing. Absolutely, absolutely. There's a there's a TV show. I don't know if it's still on or not. That was uh, oh gosh, what was it called? Now it was it was a, a bunch of thieves that were uh, trying to. It was like. The adjustments or the something they, they were they were trying to uh, fix the the 
corrupt, awful people in the world. But Le- it leverage? started off leverage. That's it. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it started off because the writer had played a D&D game full of thieves, and these were some of the adventures they had gone on. Mm-hmm. And when you watch the show knowing that, you can see, oh, they just rolled a critical there. Oh, this happened. Yeah. You, know, <laughs> you can see the sort of things that they do are done with, with D&D physics in mind. Oh, she just jumped off that building with only mm-hmm. a little rope holding her. And, you, well, well, she, and, knows, the, she and has the, the hit points. The guy who created that show um, is also the writer of the D&D comic that was out for, uh, what, a couple oh. of years. Oh, yeah, that was really good. I mm-hmm. really enjoyed that. Was that was good. And and that one that was another one where where he there he he did the same thing but he fully understood the medium that he was writing for you know but at the same time not being married to the you know watching the dice roll you right, know right, I felt right. like the D and D comic really get, captured what it was like to sit around the table and play D and D without actually being a comic about people sitting around the table playing D and D you know yes yes I thought it was great but in any case right um, so- yeah go ahead. So, so we want to do this conversion. What do we look at first? Well, before we do that, I think, I think it's worth discussing two different options for conversion. Okay. Um, and, my, and, and what I'm talking about is, do you do a conversion with a lot of prep? Or is it something that you can just wing? You know, is it possible to just wing it? Hmm. Um, I, I think, for me, it depends on how familiar I am with the two systems that I'm looking at. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if, if I have something in classic D&D, which I've played not a whole lot of, and I'm trying to convert it to fourth ed, which I'm really familiar with, um, I'm probably going to want to read through the classic version a lot more and do, make a lot more notes on it as to how that would translate into fourth ed than if it was like 3.5 to fourth ed, because I'm very familiar with both of those. And that I could probably do conversions on the fly or make mm-hmm. things up on the fly if I needed to, um, you know, stat-wise and things like that. Mm-hmm. I think, I think in, a, in a lot of ways, converting to fourth ed, like I would probably want to do the prep. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the prep can be as simple as um, looking up the monsters in the adventure and pulling them up in the compendium and copying and pasting them into a document. Yeah, because, that's true. Because fourth edition has such a breadth of, of, of creatures available mm-hmm. that you shouldn't have to recreate anything. Um, but at the same time, it'd be useful to have them available to you on the fly and not have, to, not have to look them up in the middle of the game. Right, right, right. Yeah, and the digital tools make that such an easy oh, yeah, task yeah. to do. See, and I was going to say, I think going the other way, going from, from fourth or going from any edition like into third would probably actually take quite a bit of work only because there's not like a massive searchable database. Although if it's an SRD creature, you know, if it's, it's a fairly standard creature, you can find, you can find a lot of those um, easily through the SRD, through some right. of the online SRDs that are out there. And, and a, lot of, a lot of the monsters, because that was back in, in 3.5, I, I remember you could add you know, uh, character class levels to monsters mm-hmm. and things. And so if you need to up the, the difficulty on a monster, give him a couple fighter levels or a couple sorcerer levels mm-hmm. or whatever else, and that, that'll help. You know, Suddenly you've got a tougher whatever. Yeah, and so I think some of it comes down to how familiar or how similar are the additions and how well do you know the additions. Uh, yeah. I think both of those things come into play. You know, um, I, I've mentioned that I'm currently running the third edition or 3.5 Return to the Temple of Elemental Evil in a D&D Next campaign. Honestly, those additions are fairly close to the point that I don't do a lot of prep. I run the mm. monsters basically as they exist in, in the third edition book, in the adventure, 
Uh, well, first, the first thing I do is I look to see if there's a, a D&D Next version of it in the bestiary, but it's a playtest, so the, right. the bestiary is fairly thin. Um, sure. So when it's not there or if it's an NPC or whatever, I'm not doing the prep work to convert it. I'm just playing the character as they exist. And if I can't, you know, if they have a spell and I can't find a, a, a next version of the spell, I look up the third edition version of the spell and I can pretty much wing the same effect. Mm-hmm. You know, um, if, you know, I have to do a little bit of, of tweaking, you know, um, because the defenses system is different. The AC, you know, the math is flatter in right. next or whatever. So, you know, okay, so that creature has an AC of 26 because they're stacking natural armor and plate mail and all this other stuff. Those troglodytes were tough. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so a lot of times what I'll do is I'll say, okay, well, this creature is, you know, f- supposed to be sixth level. I'll get, I'll subtract two or maybe I'll subtract three from their AC and, and from some of their other numbers. And it, and it basically pretty well works out without me doing a lot of prep work. Um, you know, so I can pretty well do that on the fly because they're similar enough. You know, is somebody supposed to make a reflex save? I tell them to make a dex and I adjust the DC into what, you know, it generally would be in next. Right. Know, um, but I, I, I do very little. And I think that was one of the goals they were aiming for is, is to be able to play old adventures fairly simply and easily. And so far it's worked for me going third edition into next. But I don't know that I would do, do it that completely on the fly for other things. You know, as I prepare for my third edition to fourth edition conversion, I'm at least going to convert the monsters. Mm-hmm. Because I can't just take a third edition monster and run it in fourth edition. It, they don't work the same. No, they have different defenses, different – yeah, it, it's, it's a very – well, and and they're structured very differently. You know, if if yeah, if the monster was if every single monster was basically you know either casting spells or running around hitting things with their claws, that doesn't feel fourth edition. You know, right. So th- those are the things I would consider. I think it can be done if you know the the additions very well and if the additions are very similar uh, mm-hmm. mechanically. Um, but in most cases, it's probably good to at least do a little bit of prep for the mechanical bits. Sure, sure. But let's go through the, the, the steps. I've, I've more or less sketched it out into four steps to okay. converting an adventure from one edition into another. Um, and the first step I came up with, the first thing to consider is, I think, the story. Yeah. Okay. Uh, now, you're picking up the adventure because you like the story, right? That's what we talked about is the real appeal. Mm-hmm. And I don't think most stories in most cases need much conversion, but it's worth looking at because some editions have certain assumptions in the campaign setting or whatever. And if you've been playing a campaign with those assumptions and then you throw this adventure into the middle of a larger campaign, that could mean you have to change some things. You know, For example, the cosmology oh, yeah. of the planes and the gods and all that has changed with every single edition. Well, if you're, playing, if you're converting a second edition adventure that assumes the Great Wheel cosmology, but you're playing in fourth edition where the Great Wheel doesn't exist – Right. Okay, then you might have to tweak your story a little bit in order to make make sense of those things. And, and in my case, I would either just write it right in, the, in there into the adventure or put post-it notes on the page or whatever to remind myself in that moment when I'm reading that box text or whatever, okay, make sure you don't make this mistake because then they'll be confused and, and it'll take them out of the moment of the, of the game. Right. One of the things that I did with uh, sort of general story in converting anything to 4th edition, 4th edition has a whole lot of races you can play, uh, just sort of standard PC races where you could be a goblin or you could be a shade or you could be a, a warforged or all these other things that uh, – A dragonborn, a kobold. Or a, that, that yeah. just don't they, – they don't exist in the human-centric older uh, mm. adventures. And so altering you know, the makeup of the town so that you know, that blacksmith – 
isn't a human anymore. He happens to be a Goliath or he happens to be, you know, something so that people feel like they're, they're not the weirdos in a world of humans. Mm-hmm. Uh, that has been at least something I paid a little bit of attention to because I like, especially, uh, and a lot of my conversions have been for D&D encounter settings where we're likely to be encountering uh, new players and I don't want them to feel, you know, I want them to feel like they're a part of a world, not mm-hmm. a, a single weird creature in a world of other different people. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Good. So that's step one. Step two, that at least what I would focus on next, is the monsters. Because okay. that's, what, that's what I think the, you're going to end up spending – after the story, that's what the players are going to spend the most time interacting with. Mm-hmm. All right? Now, this could be easy or hard depending, again, on – we mentioned this earlier about how similar the edition is and how complete the, the playing edition is, the, the edition you're playing in. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, if you're converting to fourth edition, it's it's an extremely complete edition. It has a ton of monsters. No matter what you need to convert, you can probably find a version of it in the the compendium and find it easily because you have an online compendium to search through. Sure. You know, um, or if you just absolutely can't find it, it was that unique of a creature in that in that adventure. You can probably find something fairly similar that can be slightly reskinned on the fly. Absolutely. Yeah. However, in other editions, it might be a lot more work. You know, it might – if you're converting something from 4th edition into 1st edition, you're going to have to do a lot of upfront work, preparing your monsters, figuring out how they work. Although, in fairness, in 1st edition, monsters were oftentimes just, well, this is how many hit points they have and this is what they – this is, you know, their Thaco and, and their damage and that's it. That's the whole sure, monster. Sure, sure. Uh, you look at some of those uh, – again, I have the Dungeons & Dread uh, adventure sitting in front of me on the desk here. Uh, you know, the stat blocks are built into the adventure. The adventure was, you know, f- 12 pages. And right, the stat blocks right. were goblin, three hit points, Thaco eighteen, and D six damage. You know that's it. Right. That was the entire stat block. <laughs> so um, converting into the, that simple of a stat block, I suppose, would be fairly simple. Um, but I, I, going into second edition or third edition from a later edition or whatever could be a little bit more work because you have to do some prep to do that. Well, and I think also um, looking at monsters with an eye towards the story is important because depending on the edition you're running, if if you're in like fourth edition where combat can take a very long time for a very short combat, you might want to say, okay, which of these monsters is really, uh, to use a D&D next term, which one of these is iconic to this adventure? You know, which of these monsters do I need to have uh, the PCs run up mm-hmm. against in order to get the full effect of this dungeon or this adventure or this whatever it is? Uh, because I've found a lot of times... I, I just get rid of whole sections or whole whole groups of monsters because they were just there as an extra challenge in a particular edition, but in in if I'm converting to fourth edition, that would be another three hours of combat mm-hmm. to deal with this group of goblins that doesn't really have anything to do with the larger NPCs or the story that's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that, that that's a good point as well. In my in my uh conversion from 3.5 to, to next in my current campaign, um, there's a whole section of that adventure that where there's a section of dungeon with like over 200 rooms. It's huge. And, mm-hmm. and every room is detailed and they're full of first level, second level, third level creatures. The, yep. par- the party is 8th, ninth, 10th level at that point. So they're walking through the whole thing. Now, in a third edition campaign, you're you're building endurance and you're going through a long period of time, um, you know, mm-hmm. and and, and um, it can build a challenge over time. In my next campaign, they were walking through these guys 
and loading up on magic items that that next is not designed for them to to have you know right um, right you know so so there's a whole different level of issues there to consider and, and eventually i just sort of you know, you were gone for two months, and in the meantime, these other things happened, and the rest of that dungeon was cleared out. Let's move on to the next part of the storyline sort of thing. Um, right. Well, the other nice thing with, with at least that I've, I've been able to do with 4th edition is I can say, okay, uh, make a dungeoneering check. All right, that represents the last hour that you guys had of, of yeah. wiping through rooms that had giant rats in them, or that had, you know, those sorts of things where it's, it's you, can, you can use different conventions to get them through those, those sort of... Um, Combat-heavy slogging through areas. Yeah, the parts that, that. Yeah, so so yeah, I guess what we're both saying is um, find the iconic moments, and the and the other stuff may not, depending on the edition you're running in, may or may not translate well. You know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it translated well, I guess, from from third into next, um, but it just didn't challenge. So I wanted to move the story along faster than that. Right, right. Going, Another- going to fourth edition, then you know, you could be if it's a a decently challenging encounter, you could be adding hours and hours of playtime because fourth edition combats tend to go slow. Yes, yes. An- another thing for me, and maybe this is just a conceit because I like things, um, but I'll often look at an adventure and see if I have miniatures to match the monsters that are in it, or if I can get miniatures to match the monsters that are in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, because if you're playing an edition that uses a grid-based combat map or something like that, it's cool to have things that look like whatever it is you're using and and you know i've i've used tokens when necessary but it's just kind of neat to have the actual thing there so that mm-hmm. they have a visual representation uh when i did the uh hidden shrine of tomoa chan there's a uh it's like a fey centauri kind of mummy thing at the end that's that's she's the daughter of some vampire lord thing but she's part fey creature part horse part mummy and i created a custom miniature just for that because i was like well this is one of the big enemies in the adventure i want to make sure i have it but i don't want to have it if the players can't visualize it Hmm. yeah i i've um i've made a rule basically that that uh tokens are only minions Okay, yeah. <laughs> or really low level things, and everything else. Sure, I I try we I had between my miniatures and one of my players brought over a giant thing in miniatures like the very first time we played, and it's basically lived in my house ever since. Uh-huh. Uh, between his and mine, I can get at least a pretty close approximation to most things. Sure, know? sure. And so we can get three dimensional for most things, um, and then you know minions can be tokens because sometimes I got scads and scads of those, right? Right, right, right. Awesome. Um, so that's monsters. My third step then is to look at sort of the other big mechanical things, traps, spell effects, magic items. How do we handle that? Uh, well, I think that depends on what you want the feel of the adventure to be. Uh, when you look at something like the, uh, the tomb of horrors or, or any of the older adventures that were more, uh, um, sort of event-based, see if you can survive to the end kind of things, there were a lot of instant killing traps. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, were, there were a lot of mechanics in there where if you weren't standing in the exact right place, you didn't do the exact right thing, you were rolling up a new character. Mm-hmm. And if that's the kind of game that you want, or that's the kind of feel that you want for your adventure, uh, then you want to keep with it. But if it's not, then you want to find another way to translate that so people still get the feel of what's going on, but they don't have the instant death uh, effect. Yeah, that's interesting to talk about because that's something that actually came up in my in my campaign. 
Um, and I was going to talk about it on the next uh, Behind the DM screen, but people here will, will, will get a preview of that. Mm-hmm. Um, because that happened for me. You know, um, in, in four, five, six years, uh, how long has it been now? Six years, yeah, of playing, yeah. playing with the same group of players now. Um, there's never been really an instant death effect. And then all of a sudden, because I'm converting a third edition campaign and they, they entered a new part of, of the adventure where things the challenge level got ratcheted up quite a bit without them really knowing it, although they, they, there were hints they should have known. Um, but what they didn't realize was, oh, there's going to be some possibilities of instant death. And there were three instances specifically of a possible instant kill, you know, no chance of resurrection in one night. Oh wow! And 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 one of my players was was I think downright angry, you know. <laughs> you know, uh-huh. I did not know that. You know, that's fine if this is the game we're playing, but I did not know when I came tonight that this is the game we were playing. You know, right, right. Um, you know, and 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 that was fair. Um, you know, it's also a, a matter of chance and luck that they they went in in the direction in the situation that that brought that up that way, right? But well, I think that can also be mitigated. I mean, if by by just communicating with the players ahead of yeah. time and and saying you know this is the kind of, I mean if I'm if I'm playing Deadlands I know that no matter how awesome my guy is he could get killed really easily by something even worse out there you know mm-hmm. and I know if I'm playing a game like that I I know that's the world that I'm in and I expect the DMs to or whatever they call them in Deadlands uh, to run it that way but if I'm in if I'm in fourth ed D and D I know I've got healing surges I know I've got death saves I know I've got all these mechanics around living and dying mm. and if there's just something that says you die you know if I fall into lava that's one thing but even then I know how much damage it does and if I have this much fire resistance I you know I mean there there are still mechanics around it uh, and so I think if you want effects like that in something like fourth ed where players expect to survive a little bit more to be a little bit tougher then uh it's just a matter of communication ahead of time yeah that's fair uh and and there might be an issue like that right i mean if you're converting a first edition thing adventure into a fourth edition campaign fourth edition players are going to be used to a, a relatively low level of deadliness whereas first edition you know i accidentally touched the wrong thing and it turns out that was a sphere of annihilation oh i'm dead Yes, yeah, yes, you know, um, yep. and so yeah, there's a communication um, that has to happen there if you're going to run it that way, or you have to convert the adventure to not be that that deadly, um, or you have to do it the other way, right? If you're taking something fourth edition, converting it to to first, you know, but you want it to have a first edition feel, you've got to crank up the the deadliness, you know. Absolutely. Um, any anything mechanically to consider? You know, I'm running into the issue right now of way too much magic items because I took a third edition campaign that assumes lots of magic items because that's the way third edition was built, and I'm taking mm-hmm. converting into next, which assumes very few magic items. And guess what? My players are probably way more powerful than they should be because they've got magic items, you know, dripping off of their earlobes like they've been soaking in it. You know. Um, in hindsight, were I to do it over again, that's maybe a little bit of prep I would do. I would have, I would maybe take out a lot of the magic items, especially the permanent magic items that that aren't necessary. A lot of the plus one, this, that, and whatever, and a lot more of the scrolls and potions. Right, right, right. Um, what is it? I think Thirteenth Age has an interesting mechanic uh, for that. You get one magic item per level, and if you get more than that, every magic item that you have is competing for your attention, and they each have little quirks that they'll give your personality. Mm. Uh, so if you if you load up on four magic items at first level, you're going to have four different weird personality quirks that are going <laughs> to affect how your character plays uh, while you've got all these items on at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was that was kind of a neat feel uh, I felt for for 
keeping magic item bloat down and keeping players from wanting to go after more items than you know they could than they really should <laughs> probably have yeah then their personality could even handle at that mm-hmm. point yeah cool but yeah i think finding finding some way to to at least be aware of that and and to either limit it or or uh you know mit- mitigate the the what what the adventure says should be there uh mm-hmm. is important and I think I think a lot of my advice that, that I haven't said yet for this this third step, converting traps, spell effects, magic items, that kind of thing, is honestly because it's the same as my my advice on on monsters. Mm-hmm. Right? It could be really easy or really hard depending on how similar the additions are, and how complete the playing edition is, and your familiarity and knowledge of both. You know, mm-hmm. um, going again, going from three point five into next, I make up a lot of magic items in the spells. You know, I just look at the third edition version. I say, well, okay, this is how it works here. Yeah. You know, I, I can, and I can sort of do that in short term. You know, I'm not publishing it or anything, right? It doesn't have to be perfect. And if it breaks the game, right. it breaks the game, and we and we we retcon or we do what you know we deal with it. But yeah, um, you know, those well, are things that convert fairly easily in that in instance, but wouldn't necessarily in others. And so your vi- mileage may vary. Well, and that's like if you look at Gardmore Abbey when they converted the uh, the deck of many things. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought. You know, they had to create a lot of that completely out of whole cloth because so many of the old things just wouldn't work in fourth edition. Yeah, but I thought they did the a great job of, of it. Yeah, they they changed the whole feel of it, and it still felt like a big epic item. It still felt like every card mattered, um, but it it changed it so that it worked in that system. And I thought that was a great way of sort of translating an older iconic item into something that still feels important, but in a different way uh, in in the current system. Mm-hmm. So shall we move on to step four then? Yes. All right. So step four I'm calling the extras. Um, each edition has its little quirks, right? And so mm-hmm. the the addition of the adventure you're running might have some of those quirks built into it, into it, but that the playing edition might not have. So how do you, you know, convert a fourth edition skill challenge into an edition that doesn't have that mechanic? Or if I'm converting something from second edition into fourth edition, should I look for opportunities to say, "Oh, this thing could be a skill challenge and do that"? You know, what little you know. So skill challenges is, is my 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 example quirk from fourth edition that doesn't necessarily convert to others, but but others have have these same sorts of things. What do you do with the extras? Well, I I think you, you, it kind of forces you to take a step back and say, okay, what's what's the broader context of this game going to mean for these players is it going to be a a single session thing and so uh we won't have to worry about them going you know into multiple days which would get into well do they have daily powers do they have uh you know once a week powers or things Mm -hmm. like that uh or is it going to be part of an ongoing campaign that we're going to run over a couple months in which case i'm going to have to figure out when they get extended rests i'm going to have to figure out uh you know which effects you know, might they use an action point for? Might they get some other, you know, edition-specific um, bonus for? Uh, or, or you know, doing the skill challenges and things. Okay, I know non-weapon proficiencies existed back in second ed, but mm-hmm. nobody really had many of them. And so if I take this important thing that requires a skill challenge in fourth ed, nobody's going to be able to do it in second ed. And that might either stop the game or stop the progress of the story or, you know, we need to find some other way to to make it work then. Uh, so I, I think it's, it's more having a, 
having followed the, the first three steps, you've got such a good feel for where things are that I think all the extras, it should eventually become self-apparent uh, what, what's going to matter and what's not going to matter and what you need to keep in and what you can, what you can uh, safely let fall by the wayside. Yeah, I think that's true. And I think some of it comes down to your experience as a DM as well. You know, um, sure. I've, I've been DMing for a long time, and I feel like if, I, if at this point, and you know, I ran 4th edition for, for long enough that I could throw just about, I could throw a skill challenge, I think, into just about any edition. You know? Sure. And if it was 1st or 2nd edition where you didn't have a strong skill system, that's okay, because you can throw it in, it turn it into a, a, a stat challenge. Basically. Oh, like an attribute, yeah. Yeah, you, you use your stats and your attributes and, and, and that kind of stuff, you know, maybe modified by what non-weapon proficiencies you might have or whatever, um, and, or background, you know, explanation that the player might provide you. Oh, I'm a blacksmith, so I should be good at this or whatever. Um, you know, that, that kind of stuff would work fine. Um, and I feel like I, for most of those little things, I could probably do it on the fly. And anything that's more complicated is usually not an addition thing. Sometimes adventures will have their own little mechanical addition that they add in oh yeah that have yeah. nothing to do with the addition and and so a lot of those pretty well stand up no matter what the addition is you know if it's mm-hmm. a you know you're doing this thing to build your reputation towards this other thing like say uh reavers and harkenwald did something like that right yep, um, yep. then there's mechanics built into the adventure to do that and whether you're playing first edition or fourth edition doesn't matter um, because the mechanics still hold up. It's, it's the actions you take and how that affects other, other story elements. You know, if it's a, a grid-searching um, mechanic where you're exploring this, you know, the, the Island of Dread or whatever, um, that, that holds up because it's a built-in, self-sustaining, um, you know, closed system that doesn't need the rest of the addition around it too. So um, I wouldn't get hung up on a lot of those little extras and things because mo- many of them are adventure-specific, not addition-specific, and so it still works. Sure, sure. All right. In, any other things on, on step four? Or any steps or, or things that people might consider when converting an addition that, that I've forgotten to include on my list? No, I think we've covered most of it. Uh, maybe, you know, <laughs> not showing the crappy artwork from an older edition if you want your players to feel like it's, it's something new that you're running. And, uh, mm. Yeah, and, and that comes down to feel, right? If you're trying to go for a sense of nostalgia, then you show the old art. If you're trying, you know, I could, you know, that actually, that's actually an interesting idea. I never even thought of that. What if, what if you take an old first edition classic adventure, reskin it a little bit, and only show them brand new artwork? Yeah. And don't tell them they're doing a classic adventure. And then at the end, it's like, aha, this was actually the Tomb of Horrors all along. You know, <laughs> I'm right, how right, right. You could, how many you people you could fool? That you know? that could be cool. That could be cool. If Tracy were on with us, I know she would probably talk about um, looking at gender equality in the mm-hmm. towns and other things that sure. you run into if, if it's an older adventure and not not to put that just on Tracy because I think that's important as well but um, and, and that's similar to how you change the racial makeup of uh, yes you know, yeah. you know of a town to, to make it seem more like the current edition or whatever or mm-hmm. more modernity too I mean in the same way that you could talk about human races as well as you know Actual real-world human races, I guess, is what I'm saying. Sure, sure, uh, sure. And consider that as well. Um, just to make it clear that this is this is a, you know, we are, well, we're playing an older adventure or whatever. We're living in the modern world, and these are the conventions that are sort of the norm for us. Right, right, right. Yeah, absolutely. And and some adventures need more conversion for that kind of stuff than others. You know, some some older adventures actually do a decent job 
uh, of illustrating the the inherent equality that D and D sort of assumes in its fantasy, um, and others don't. Right, because right. that wasn't the assumption for some of the older uh, designers. I mean, Peter Jackson has been doing that, converting the Hobbit and adding in, you know, a female cast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, there's one other thing I want to talk about before we go on the issue of conversions, and that's that I think there are a, there's a whole other category of conversion that's different and separate from converting from one edition into another. There's other types of conversions a DM might want to do, and I think you had some of the, some that you wanted to talk about, and I think I had had one or two that I wanted to talk about. So, why don't you start? Sure, sure. Well, this is very near and dear to my heart because, like I said, I uh, run D and D encounters at my local gaming store, and um, we have multiple tables of players uh, on any given week, and some of those players show up every week, some of those players show up every couple of weeks, sometimes they switch tables that they're at. And so when we look at an adventure, a long-term adventure, or a season of adventures for organized play, we want to have consistency across tables so that if somebody you know runs one week at table one and then the next week at table two they're not going to be lost. They'll still understand. They'll, they'll be in a similar adventure or similar place. Uh, and the past two D&D uh, encounter seasons, uh, Crystal Shard and uh, Baldur's Gate, have both been very uh, sandboxy, very wide open, mm-hmm. where here's a bunch of things that are going on, here's a bunch of NPCs that are doing some stuff, and these are some things that might happen at these points in time. If your players are there, great. If not, this is what happens. And while that I think is fantastic for like a home setting where you've got your own free-willed players that want to go wherever they want. Uh, For something like an organized setting in a store, you want to have a little more consistency so that you know, all right, and I know you're railroading people a little bit, but at the same time, you're making sure that everybody's having the same adventure experience so that if they end up at a different table the next week or if they end up talking to their friend who is at a different table, they'll have things to talk about. They'll have you know, points of connection that they can they can discuss and they can they can feel like they were all part of the same thing, even though they ran it in different tables or different you know uh, with different characters. Mm-hmm. And that's been that's been a challenge uh, with the past two seasons because they've been very wide open. And while I appreciate that and I appreciate the feel of that, uh, we've we've had to do a lot of sort of background work uh to get it to work for our store in addition our store has been running it in fourth edition and that's required uh setting up okay when are they going to get extended rests and the current season uh they're in Icewind Dale they're going all over the 10 towns in reality there's no real reason why they shouldn't be sleeping in between going town to town uh but if they had a full set of powers and full set of daily powers and action points and everything, every single adventure, that would make the adventures much less difficult. And so we've had to find reasons why, uh, you know, well, you didn't really get a full night's rest this, this time because there was a blizzard outside and you were in a tent and it was too cold and you didn't get a good night's sleep. Uh, in the previous season, Murder in Baldur's Gate, uh, we uh, worked the rising energy of Baal or Bahal or whatever the murder god's name is actually pronounced as, uh, and so they would have nightmares and not be able to get a good night's sleep until every fourth night or so, mm. which which made up for the fact that in a store we were running it okay the you know these four encounters before you get an extended rest, mm-hmm. um, and so so just paying attention to that uh, was something it, it was something we had to pay attention to it was something we had to we had to put energy into to make sure that our players were going to have the best chance of getting a consistent uh even experience uh we had another uh the 
Vault of the Dracolich, I believe, mm-hmm. which was uh, another uh, opening weekend event that led into another D&D encounter season, uh, had this whole thing that was supposed to be multiple tables and you could teleport from table to table if you hit right. the wrong thing. And there were all sorts of things that might work really well and be really fun in a zany con setting. But in a store where we've got a bunch of new players who are trying to figure out what's going on. There's just too much new stuff and zany stuff for them, huh? Right. Yeah, it was, it was, it was way too much. And mm-hmm. so we had to tone that down when we decided on sort of the, the I don't want to say rewritten, but the revised version of that. Uh, that we did for our store with that was we, we wanted to make it more uh, easier to swallow, I guess. Yeah, sure, I get that. And 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 the other thing we're looking at with the with the uh, they've just announced the next couple of seasons uh, are going to be digital download only, which you can get from dndclassics.com using the Tome Show link, of course. Of course. Um, but uh, that's been another thing we've been looking at is. Uh, how much of the adventures, since everybody can buy the adventures now, how much of it do we want to keep as written and how much of it do we want to be surprised for those players that are going to buy it anyway? Are they going to know what's going to happen? Are they going to know what's going on behind the scenes? Mm-hmm. Or do we want to you know, alter any of it so that they can have some fun surprises as well uh, as they go through it? Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, and you know, I suppose some of that depends on how much your players would do that, right? Well, it. I mean, yeah, and I don't want to. I don't want to make it sound like every D and D encounters player is is a you know a, a power hungry trying to get <laughs> well, sure, sure. kind of thing. But but you have to plan for those people to exist, and you want to be able mm-hmm. to still have a little bit of surprise uh, in what's going on um, as storytellers uh, to be you know to that. That's why I DM is because I enjoy telling stories mm-hmm. and letting the players be the characters in those stories. And, and it's so hard if to I do know, that if they know what's happening. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's another reason why. Uh, we convert is is to make a, a better experience for the setting in which we're sure. we're running it. You know, in uh, the same way that I mean, I, I would argue that anytime I run at a published adventure, I do that kind of conversion, right? Where where oh yeah, I, I, tailor, yeah. I tailor the adventure to the to the experience of or, or the the desires of my players. Um, that that's almost not conversion. It's it's more of just um, it's just it's just maybe a good lesson in and how to run in a published adventure, which could be a whole episode in itself. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the only the only reason I mention it here mm-hmm. is that for something like like uh, these D and D encounter seasons, because we've had to do it across a whole twelve week you know uh, setup, uh, it's it's been more important to be aware of everything that could happen and everything sure. that's been going on, uh, and so we've had to just put some extra energy into that in order to to get a better output uh, at the end. And I'm uh, I post on a, a DM site for encounters dms where we all sort of recount our adventures and uh it's been it's gotten really different the last two seasons mm-hmm, where sure. uh people might be in totally different areas dealing with totally different npcs uh week to week so it's harder to have even a consistent sort of dm experience so that we can say well what worked what didn't work what mm-hmm. might you do differently absolutely so my my thought um, beyond that is that beyond changing sort of the mediums uh, of your game and the format and a little bit like you talked about, um, mm-hmm. but I've also done some conversions of setting, which I think is is worth people considering as well. You might okay. be you might be running an adventure in the edition that it was intended to be run in, but changing the setting. At which oh, point, yeah. at which point you can go through the same process we discussed, but really focus most of your time on step one. Consider the story. You know, mm-hmm. uh, if I'm running an Eberron adventure in the Forgotten Realms, 
I've got to change quite a few things. Oh, you sure. Know, if, I, if I want it to feel like the realms, you know, then there's – guess what? There's no Warforged and the, the, the Church of Vol might end up being, you know, uh, a completely different – you know, it might be Velsharoon because it's a different god in a different situation but similar portfolio. Right, uh, right. Uh, and, you know, I've done um, – what was it? The third edition Ravenloft – uh, adventure was actually designed to sort of be portable into m- multiple settings, and I f- had to figure out, okay, well, where am I going to put Barovia in a place that makes sense in the realms? You know, sure, um, sure, and, and and make all that work. And so I think there's there's a setting considerations as well, and, and that's a, a different kind type of a, of conversion that somebody could do. With you know, mm-hmm. you don't necessarily have to come up with a reason that the players would would be transported to another world to run an adventure in that world. You can just convert the the adventure itself, and that can work. Sure, sure. Another thing that I've found um, just in general from a story point of view in in long campaigns that I've run, if I've wanted to stick in older adventures or or adventures from other other settings or whatnot, is um, the past is a great sort of equalizer. And so if, if second edition happened 5,000 years ago in my world mm. and something gets unearthed from then, you know, I don't need to find an excuse for them to be – have you know, they worshipped other gods back then and they had these changes. Oh, these cha- you know, because, because it was in the distant past and we've got new gods now or we've mm-hmm. got – you know, so that's sort of a way to kind of wash over that if necessary. Uh, or it could be a regional issue too. You know, oh yeah, in this, oh, pla- yeah. In this place, this time, time, they just called this god this other thing. Yeah, I, I was in a fourth ed game that uh, my DM sent us to this big desert in the southern part of our world, and it turned out to be Dark Sun, and that's oh, sure. that's the way things work down there. And it was just that's why people from the desert area didn't come to our realm, and 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 people from the north didn't go down to the desert because there were these weird changes in the way things worked, and and mm-hmm. and I've, that was just it. I, I've I've seen Dark Sun usable that way in a lot of different cases where um, you know Dark Sun could very easily be whatever your normal campaign setting is, but you've been frozen in stasis and a thousand years later you woke up after the apocalypse and now it's Dark Sun. Yes, you know? yes. <laughs> you know, yeah. Just about any setting can be Dark Sun post-apocalypse. <laughs> yes, yes, definitely. So, cool. Well, any other thoughts on converting adventures? Um, Have we covered it pretty well? Yeah, I think we've gotten a lot of it. Um, if there's anything we missed, people should totally email us over at thetomeshow at gmail.com or shoot us a, a, a voicemail at 919-BIZ-TOME. That's 919-B-I-Z-T-O-M-E. Sound good? I think that sounds great. All right. I want to thank you, Joe Lestowski, for joining us. Uh, any place that people should be looking out for you? Uh, yes, I write the What the Average Joe Thinks reviews on um, the Modern Myths website. That's my local comic store. It's modern-myths.com. Uh, and I'm also a frequent contributor on the DungeonsMaster.com, which is that DM site for Encounters DMs I was talking about. There you go. And I also want to thank our listeners. Thank you for using the Tomes Amazon and D&D Classics affiliate links over at thetomeshow.com, where you can also find our other great Tome Show shows and all kinds of other awesome things. This has been episode 228, where we've converted it like it was an old episode 28, just 200 episodes later. In this episode of the tone, the tone, the tone, the tone, the tone, the tone, the tone. I'm also wrong.